0: This series is a topic that has been churning in me and us for about nine months. Uh, I've been struggling to find the words to kind of put to it to help you understand what we has been on our heart. And, and one of my mentors kind of just, just helped me have the words and, and the direction, and I want to present that to you. You know, when people on the outside of the church describe people inside of the church, they will often use words like this, self-righteous, judgmental, arrogant, hateful. But those very same people outside of the church, if they were to describe Jesus, then they would use very different words. They would use words like like these, like peaceful, like uh, mercy. They would use words like loving and kind, all of uh, very different I mean, they're opposites, really. The way they would describe Christ followers is very different from the way they would describe Jesus. And we have to ask the question, why the difference... Why is it different the way they would describe us and Jesus? And if you were to look in the New Testament at the words Jesus used to describe the Pharisees, you will find that he uses words very much like the words that people outside of the church use to describe Christians. Jesus used words like that to describe Pharisees. And we have to ask the question, Why? Now one of the reasons might be that we have in the church today, or as Christians, Christ followers today, some of us have a gospel of mud management. In other words, we might say to someone, you need to see your sin and to see all the bad things, the wrong things you're doing, and understand how bad they are. So that you can have a relationship with Jesus. That's a gospel of mud management. Let's manage the mud first, and then let's go to Jesus. Or we might have a gospel of mud management that says, okay, I've come to Jesus. Now I need to go clean up my life. I'm going to clean it up. Thanks, you got me this far, Jesus. You saved me. Now I'm going to go clean up my life. And as I do it, I'm going to stay away from all the muddy people around me. That's a gospel of mud management now when Jesus taught while he was here on the earth when he taught sometimes he would teach in a synagogue a local village synagogue but knowing that there were many people in the village that did not feel like they could ever step foot in a synagogue because if they did, they would receive judgment, lots of judgment, not, not thinking really about God. They would receive judgment and stares from the people who were there. And sometimes they didn't feel like they could go into the synagogue because they would receive condemnation. We're not talking about condemnation from God. It was really condemnation from the people inside the synagogue. So Jesus didn't just teach in the synagogue. Jesus also taught other places, out in the open, out by a lake, out by a boat, off of, on a hillside, a mountainside. He taught many, many different places outside of the synagogue. Now, in these other places, um, people could gather. Anyone could gather. And there were places where people would feel safe that they could show up and investigate the claims of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Now, in these other locations outside of the synagogue, there would also be some Pharisees. They would be there scoffing, some of them getting angry, some of them trying to trick Jesus, trying to catch him slipping up, which they never did. But can you imagine, can you imagine trying to catch God messing up? That's what they were doing, but they they never were successful and there were other kinds of people there. Uh, there, there were these off-site locations, not the synagogue, and the people could show up. They, they didn't think, I, you know, I, I can't go to the synagogue, I can't step foot in the synagogue. But they thought, oh, I can go, I can go there, I can go there outside of the synagogue and listen to Jesus. And there you would find all kinds of people. You would find tax collectors who, in that day, they were pretty considered, pretty horrible people, you would find prostitutes, there would be tax collectors, prostitutes, the worst of sinners. And you say, well, that sounds like a pastor's conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of does, doesn't it? And they were all there, though, trying to hear from this man, Jesus, trying to see, is it really true that he's a friend of sinners and he's setting captives free? That's what they were investigating. Now, think with me for a moment. The people in the synagogue, they had a connection with God. The people in the synagogue, they had hope. But there was something about that place, that building, something about the people in that place that made it an unwelcome place for an outsider to show up. A sinner was not welcomed in the synagogue a person who had a muddy life was not welcome inside the clean synagogue. Now think with me again here for a moment. What is it about churches today that keep outsiders out? Sometimes, sometimes it's as simple as the architecture of a building... That could keep an outsider out. It can be very intimidating to walk into a building with architecture that seems so grand. It can be intimidating. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that could be intimidating. Sometimes a thing that might keep an outsider outside could be as simple as what people who show up inside the building are wearing. Someone might say, well, I don't have clothes like that. I, I can't. I can't show up there. Or they might say, I don't want to dress like that. I'm not going to show up there. Or they might say, you know what? I have to wear those kind of clothes every single day. When I go to work, I don't want to wear those kind of clothes on the weekend, too, on Sunday, too. Sometimes what we wear can keep people on the outside out. Sometimes it can be our deep traditions. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not talking about biblical mandates. I, I'm not talking about things that God has said, do this, don't do this. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about our traditions. Things that we would say, well, this is just the way we do it here. We've, we've always done it that way here. Again, we're not talking about biblical mandates. Just traditions can keep people on the outside. Traditions related to our music. What we will or will not play. What we will or will not sing. What, we, what kind of instruments we will and will not allow. That can keep people out. Our rituals inside the church can do the same thing. Our facility decor can keep the outsiders out. Even room assignments inside the building... When people say, no, 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 this room is for this. You can't do anything else in this room. This is our room. You need to go find another room if you want to do that. Don't do that here. This is our room. Room assignments inside the facility. Things we do inside the building. When to sit, when to stand, when to kneel. We don't see a lot of that in Scripture or told this is how it should be done. And so sometimes the traditions in the way we have decided this is how it should be done can keep outsiders out. Again, we're not talking about biblical mandates. We're talking about things that are just the way we've decided to do them. When we say you can or you cannot clap inside of the building. Or you can wear this, but you can't wear that. And you can drink this on the weekends, but not this. You can do this or eat this, but don't eat this. And those traditions can go on and on and on. Again, we're not talking about what Jesus taught us. We're talking about our own ideas about how to make things better and how to make them more holy. We're talking about our ideas And we can summarize that by calling them traditions. Now, that makes me wonder. Are we, are we making it difficult for people to get to Jesus because of our traditions? That's where we land today. We're going to look at two different passages. Here's really three. Here's the first. Matthew chapter 23 verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds, now this crowd and to his disciples it says, this crowd are made up of all kinds of people, the Pharisees, some of his believers, um, some of his followers yes, and, and even the people who are the notorious sinners, they're all there. And all of these different kinds of people are gathered around Jesus, followers some Pharisees, people who are just investigating, trying to see, is this really the person I want to follow? Is this really the way I'm going to follow? Some of them were among the many, many sinners who were the people who were not welcomed inside of a synagogue. Now Jesus starts off by telling them, he says, now look, look, About these Pharisees, and and some of them are standing right there. About these Pharisees. Listen, they know the Scripture. If you want to learn about Scripture, they could teach you about the Scripture. They know the Scriptures. If they would just stick to the Scriptures, it would be great, but they won't. So when it comes to living, Jesus tells the people gathered, he says, when it comes to living, don't follow the Pharisees' example. Yike. Put them on blast. He's saying that they keep the Pharisees keep adding and adding and adding their own traditions and rules. And these are ideas nothing like God's ideas. That's basically what Jesus is telling the people as he teaches them. And then he goes on in verse 4. He says they, these Pharisees, crush people with impossible religious demands. These are the things they have added themselves. Not God's things. The things they have added. And he says, they never lift a finger to ease the burden. And you know what? That makes me think. In the church today, we can do the very same thing with some of our traditions. Now, here's my challenge as we get started this morning. As a church, we can't let what got started as a counter-cultural Church movement to become at Stuttgart Harvest Church, an old school church institution and tradition. You know in the early church, the followers of Jesus, they didn't have a synagogue. the Jewish people did, but the followers of Jesus didn't, they didn't have a temple, they didn't have a tabernacle or a tent or a worship center or a sanctuary. And our plea is, as a church, now that we're in this amazing facility, this building, let's not turn it into something that God has not turned it into. Think for a moment. God hasn't sanctified this building. God has not created a holy space here. In fact, this is not a church, this building. It's not a church at all. And let's take it one step deeper. For seven years, as Stuttgart Harvest Church got started, for seven years, we met in a room across town, a room where on Saturday night, they might have been showing Fifty Shades of Grey, or they might have been showing one of those real encouraging movies that really are uplifting, like The Ring. They may have been showing that on Saturday night. And then, seven hours later, we walked in and we started setting it up for a church gathering. Now, what's the difference between that building over there and this building right here? Let's take it one more step deeper. There is nothing, nothing holy about this building. This used to be a shop, a garage. Grease stains on the floor. There's nothing holy about this building. You know what? Here's the real truth. The only holy things around here today are those of you who house the Spirit of God in your very lives. Because the Bible teaches us this, and I believe it, that if you have surrendered your life to God, you have become the temple of God. Your very life, your soul has become the temple of God. Not this building. This building does not house God. God is not here waiting on you to show up and meet with Him. In fact, the truth is, you brought God into this building when you walked in if you're a follower of Jesus. You are the temple of God. We should, in fact, be more concerned about what we drag Jesus into with our lives and our jokes and our minds and our habits this week than we should be with this 607 South Park Avenue. Now, we also As a group of people called the church. We can do the very same thing with tradition. That the Pharisees did. When we demand that this church function the way we want it to function ourselves, when we demand that the worship experience be what I want it to be, what you want it to be, when we want it the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, and if it's not the way we want it, then we'll just leave and go find another one that does it the way we want it. We can be very much like those Pharisees. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church we started like we did where we did and how we did so that someone could walk into that movie theater as is just the way they were and having a building across town has not changed that we are still a come as you are place where people who have been possibly running from God for years, might be sitting right beside a person who has been following Jesus for years. And everyone can feel safe and know that they can learn. And everyone can take the next right step with God. This is a safe place for doubters, for sinners for skeptics, for saints. We're simply, as imperfect as we are as a church, we are simply trying to follow the example of Jesus and create a safe place for all kinds of people, from all kinds of backgrounds, and at all different stages of life, a safe place where they can come together and learn the way of Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus taught this. Luke chapter 15 starting with verse 1. It says tax collectors, these were pretty bad people according to the Jewish people and other notorious sinners which means all kinds of peoples, prostitutes, all kinds of folks." all notorious sinners, often came and they would listen to Jesus teach. Why would they come and listen to Jesus teach at that spot and not the synagogue? Because they didn't think they could go into the synagogue, but they knew they could meet with Jesus outside by the lake. That's what was happening. Verse 2. Now, because Jesus would do this, verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Can you imagine? What? He would sit down and eat with these people? Now, Jesus knows what they're saying. And the Bible says in verse 3, so Jesus told them a story because they were acting. The Pharisees were acting like that. Jesus told them a story. Now, first, Jesus goes into a story. He tells them a story about a lost sheep. And he tells them a story about how the shepherd would go to almost any end to find that lost sheep. Now, this was a story that Jesus was making up to prove a point. And then he told them a next story, which was about a lost coin. And and to the extreme that the owner of the coin would go to find this lost coin. And now... Jesus tells them the story of a lost son. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So Jesus makes up this story in order to teach them a point. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die, old man, now. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons, his two sons. And wow, we think, that's selfish, selfish son. And in this day and time, that was super shameful. I mean, it brought shame on himself for that son to act that way, but it also brought shame on his father for his son to act that way. And, you know, we usually focus on this younger son in the story, and there's lots to focus on there. Great, great, great story. But here... You know, the older son also gets his share. He didn't even ask for it, but the older son also gets his share. Interesting. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, and he moved to a distant land. So he grabs everything that his father just gave him, and he takes off. Now, don't miss this. It says to a distant land, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It doesn't bother us, really. But in this culture, at this time, to go to a distant land, here's what Jesus is saying. He went to a non-Jewish country. They were not Israelites. They were not the people that God was using to, to... To dispense his love to the entire world. He went outside, went away, left. All of his culture left. Everything that God was doing, he left it. And went to a Gentile land. And there, Jesus says, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. He wasted it all, every bit. Literally, he got wasted. Verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So now he's in real trouble. Verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man set him up in his fields... To feed the pigs. Now again this doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't bother us at all to hear this. But Jesus is talking to Jewish people. This was a Jewish man. Who left his country. But he's still a Jewish man. And now he's all up in the pig business. And in the Jewish culture. This was a horrible shocking 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 thing. When Jesus said that. It would bring great shame. Upon any Jew. To be all up in the pig business. They're shocked. And it says in verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So he's starving, he's hungry, he's starving, it's not working out for him. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, so he has an aha moment, it's like, ah, this is what happens. He said to himself, at home, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I'm here... Dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy. No longer worthy of being called your son. Please, take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, listen to this. His father saw him coming. And filled with anger and disgust, he spat upon him, and he beat him with a rod, and he drove him out into the darkness. Wrong translation. That's not what happened. It said, no, 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 no. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love not hate and anger, compassion, not shame. He ran. He didn't walk. He didn't lollygag. He didn't wander that way. No, he ran to his son and embraced him. He didn't beat him. And he kissed him. The custom and the culture of that day as they were listening to this story said, no, 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 no. The father, no, 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 no. Don't run to your son. No, 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 no. Shun him. The father said, no, 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 I'm going to run to him. The custom and the culture said, he brought shame on you, and now you are bringing shame upon yourself by running to him. And the father said, okay, whatever it takes. It goes on. Jesus says in verse 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants. Quick. Bring the finest robe in the house. And put it on him. And get the ring for his finger. And the sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And now he has returned alive. He was lost. And now he's found. And he said, so the party began. And my friends, this is God. He allowed my shame, your shame, to be heaped upon himself. This is God. Verse 25, it goes on. Jesus said, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. What? Dancing? In the house. And he asked one of the servants, What's going on here? The servant said, Your, your brother's back. He was told and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return Ooh. the older brother was angry what Wait a minute, fella that's my that's my calf that's that's my fat side of beef that's That's my share, fella. He already wasted his share in wild living. That's my beef. Jesus said the brother was so angry, he wouldn't go in. Again, that doesn't bother us too much. But in that culture, at that time, as the oldest child he had a role to play he had something he was supposed to do he had a job inside of that celebration as part of the celebration because as the oldest child he was in a place of authority he didn't earn that god gave it to him he was the oldest he was in a position of leadership in authority under the leadership and the authority of the father and he was supposed to be inside at that celebration doing his part. But he refused to have anything to do with his father's celebration. He would not celebrate what his father was celebrating. So now the father leaves the celebration and steps outside and spends a moment with his oldest son. And here's what it says. His father, Jesus said, his father came out and begged him. Now the father in this story is bringing some shame upon himself. He's begging his child. He says, I beg you, come in. He's wanting him to come in and celebrate what the father is celebrating. To be a part of what the father wants him to be a part of. Verse 29, but he replied. This is the older son here replying. All these years I have slaved for you. Now, again, this just kind of slips past us today. We just see it as one ticked-off son. But don't miss this. And this culture at this time, it demanded that this son address his father the leader of the household, the head of the household, to address him by his title as father. It was out of respect and out of humility of knowing your place. But no, 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 no. The oldest son, he goes on a verbal rampage as if he's talking to some household employee or as he's just talking To one of his friends, he disrespects his father, he ignores who he's speaking to, and he considers himself in this moment equal to his father. And possibly he considers himself a little better than his father, as if he's saying, yeah, old man, you might overlook this, but I have higher standards than you. I will never overlook this. I will never forget what he has done. He has not worked in the fields as hard as I have. He has not been good like I have been good. You might let him off, old man, but I'm going to make him pay. And the older son goes on. He says this, all these years... I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and, and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. By the way, that's my calf! You gave it to me! That's mine! Now remember where all of this started. (laughs) This started with a discussion that Jesus was having as he heard the reaction of the scribes and the judgmental Pharisees who were angry with Jesus for hanging out with the shady people. You know, we call this story the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son because we like that and we love that story as we should. But it could just as much be labeled and called the story of the self-righteous son because that is equally the point of this story. So we have the older son, a.k.a. the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus has been speaking to and about. The older son, who on the outside, these scribes and Pharisees, on the outside looked responsible. And on the outside they looked obedient. But they were on their very own. Not God's, their very own own self-righteous journey and the older son these scribes and Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to completely missed the redemption journey that Jesus was on the redemption pursuit of God it's as if Jesus is saying listen guys listen You Pharisees, you older brother types, listen, you have a choice. You can join me in my work. You can join me at the table with all of those muddy sinners who are sitting at the table with me. Those muddy sinners, some of them who are turning to me, some of them who are returning to me. You have a choice. Will you? Will you accept these muddy lives that have been coming back to me and accept them as part of our family? Because I'm calling them family. Are you willing to call them family too? Or instead, will you reject them? Will you shame them? Will you point your finger at them? Will you try to punish them? Are you going to actually instead turn your back on this family? Because if you do, it's you. You're turning your back on the family and you're turning your back on Jesus. You think you think you're keeping the family holy by acting the way you're acting and keeping the outsiders out. You think you're keeping the family holy, but you're actually excluding yourself from the family. Because Jesus would say, "I'm at the table and I've invited these muddy lives." to the table. Jesus goes on with the story here in verse 31. So the father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost. But now he is found. The father in the story is saying, Listen, you, dear son, you need to realize, Dear older son, dear judgmental law keeper son, You are lost too. And I want you to be found as well. Now for all of us this morning. Some of us need to turn to Jesus for the very first time. You can do that today, right now. Just turn to him. Say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. Because of that, I submit this life. I give it to you. It is yours. You are now the owner of me and I will follow you. Some of us need to turn to Jesus for the first time. Some of us this morning need to return to Jesus and come back home and take a seat at the table with Jesus. And all of us, we all need to let the love of the Father change us from the inside out. And you know what happens as the Father, as God our Father changes us from the inside out we begin to change we begin to see the world differently we begin to respond differently slowly day by day becoming a little bit more like Jesus wants us to become slowly day by day A little at a time. And the people around you. Begin to see a difference in your life. And you know why. It is so that now. You can invite them. To the table. To sit right beside of you. As you all pursue Jesus. Jesus describes. How this is. What he wants for you. And I'm going to ask the band to make their way up but don't let me lose you in this. Jesus describes this process. This is one way he does it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, we end with this. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. He says, no one lights a lamp and then tries to hide it from everybody, tries to put it under a basket, tries to keep the light. It's like, no, that's my light. Don't look at this. You go get your own light. It's mine. No one hides it. No one lights a lamp and tries to contain it or keep it for themselves. No, 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 you go. That This is mine. He says, nobody does that. That's silly. He says, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. It's placed on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And here's what that means practically for us. Allow God our Father who sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and now God's Spirit points all men to the work of what Jesus did on the cross and asks you, will you give yourself, submit yourself to the love and the control of Jesus? And when you do, He begins to change you. From the inside out. I believe Jesus is saying here. Go. Live your life. As you follow Jesus. Be changed. Live lives that are changed. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to disguise it. Don't try to say. No, 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 no. This is just for me. This is between me and God. No, no. He says. Go live a changed life. Live Changed, And as you do, invite people to experience a changed life alongside of you. What does that mean for us this week? Here simply is what we're asking you to do. All of that that we've said leads to this point. The list of names that you've been praying for. Over the past two weeks. Or if this is your first time. As part of this series. Then for you. It would be any life around you. Someone who is not connected. To a church each Sunday. Will you. Invite them. To the table. On Sunday morning. Here to sit beside you. To pull up to the table. Beside you. As we discover Jesus will you say to them I I want you to sit beside me Sunday and in essence you're saying I I, okay Jesus I will be that light that lamp out on a stand out front not so people can see me and say oh what a great guy No, no 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 it's so I can light the way point the way toward Jesus toward our Father, toward the Spirit who will move into your life. You know, to do this, it usually takes a relationship with somebody, a a friendship, a genuine, real friendship with somebody. And from that, it will probably take somewhere between five to eight invitations on your part to ask them to come sit beside you as you discover Jesus together. But just keep loving them and keep inviting. And here's what I close with. Will you, as part of this family, will you serve beside us to help us turn this building into a place where people feel safe? To investigate the claims of Christ. Will you help us do it? There's so much that goes on. Into making this a safe place. Will you partner with us to do that? So that people can come in here. Just like they are. As is. We don't any of us want to stay where we are. But anyone is welcome to come, just like they are, and learn the way of Jesus. Will you help us? If you will. I'm asking you to mark your connection card on the back that says, I'll, I'll help serve. And I'm asking you to do this. Will you say yes in the comment section, somewhere in the comment section, yes. I will as the Father changes me, I will be that light and invite my friends not yet connected to a church to sit beside me at the table where Jesus is sitting. Let's pray. As Jesus told this story, Father, the Father in the story looked to His Son And he said, you have always stayed by me. And God, I'm so fearful that we may be content just hanging around you, Jesus, and never doing anything. Never being changed. Just learning more, gaining knowledge, but not being changed. Gaining information, but not being the one who loves and invites God, may we pull up to the table where you are. And may we invite those people in and around our lives to sit beside us as we discover your way. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen.